welcome to a special bonus episode of the Great Books of Literature podcast on reading 10 great books. So in this episode, John and Andrew are just going to uh, reflect on what they learned and what they thought of reading these books. And we're going to be asking, uh, so answering a few of the questions that people have been asking us through email and at events and uh, through all sorts of means. So I'll just run through the 10 books again one more time. So we had Bleak House by Charles Dickens, The Leopard, Wuthering Heights, Zorba the Greek, Don Quixote, Heart of Darkness, The Way We Live Now, Radetsky March, Pride and Prejudice, and The Brothers Karamazov. Uh, all those episodes are still available from iTunes or from the IPA website or from any podcast app that you choose. If you did miss an episode and you do want to hear John and Andrew discuss, uh, but for now, I'll just start off with, gentlemen, which one of those was your favorite book to read and discuss? Oh, James, it's wonderful to be contemplating these 10 books as I reflect back on how we came to the 10 books Andrew and I over the course of days and weeks talked about the books we liked talked about the books that we thought should be in the list well let me just ask you straight off then we're saying on reading 10 great books and the emphasis on and ten, great as in not a capital G the great books we were enjoying them are there did we discuss 10 great books or Maybe nine great books and one other. Are you referring to Zorba the Greek? No, I'm just asking you. <laughs> I'm just asking you. I think we probably talked about six and a half. Six and a half. Half of, of the great books. Um, some of the books we're reading, and I'd read all of them, uh, I think, except one previously. Uh, so which, which got, which, which on rereading for 10 great books do you think didn't make the cut and now our series should be called Six and a Half Great Books? Before I do that, I am going to answer James's question um, with, look, my mind still hasn't been changed. Rereading it for the third or fourth time as I did for this series, uh, Wuthering Heights, I still think is head and shoulders above Great book. everything for what I am seeking in a work of literature. Andrew? I love I love Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights, I reckon, has got the greatest closing paragraph in English literature about the unquiet graves uh, of the three protagonists. Uh, I think it was just, uh, it's just a sensational book. But I mean, it's it's Wuthering Heights, a bit like Brothers Karamazov. You you come out exhausted living with such intense characters, people that. If you met at a party, you'd make your excuses and go to the other side you of the wouldn't, room. You wouldn't be at a party with any of those people. No, I, I, like, my, I like my peace and quiet. But that's, that's just... That's so I've laid it on the line, Andrew. Go on. Oh, let me go through the list. I adore Bleak House. The Leopard is one of my all-time favourites, and I got more out of it rereading that one. This is the one about uh, a noble house, a, mine, a house of mine and nobility in Sicily. I've always loved The Leopard. Uh, Wuthering Heights is brilliant. Zorba the Greek, I don't think it comes up to the mark. Yeah, but that was I thought me. It was very I'll, interesting. I'll, Andrew, I'll stick my hand up. I, I had wanted to do something uh, by um, uh, Kassensikis, but I don't think it quite worked. But uh, look, I actually enjoyed the book. For, I mean, oh, is it nice sometimes book? you get a lot out of even uh, uh, you know not so great a book, I, I've, and it has got great passages. Don Quixote is the one from this list I hadn't read before, and I absolutely adored it. It's the oldest book. We took out books from a span of 350 years of Western civilization. We didn't necessarily 
insist on Western literature. Um, Isn't maybe it interesting how cultural. so many of them uh, were non-English speaking backgrounds? They, they, ha- they only they half are English. That's right. And, and one it? of those half uh, is a guy, in fact, a Pole writing in English. So only four were, were English, the rest not. But when we say about... I'm going to pin you down. Hey? I'm going to pin you down. I'm trying to go through the list. Don Quixote, I just thought, was sensational. Uh, probably the first truly modern novel. Um, part one was, what, 1605 or something? Part two? Yep. 1612, yes. And 16, the second part, 1612. Brilliant, brilliant novel. Prefigured so many different writing styles that have been explored since. Uh, about the knight, the knight errant, the guy who's trying to recapture the era of chivalry, poor old Don Quixote and Sancho You're Panza. trying to avoid the question. No, I'm just uh, to- I'm, I'm tasting in my mouth. Okay, Do give I, us the will two. I say Don give Quixote? Give us the two. How did darkness... Uh, the way we live now, I've always loved uh, Trollope, Rodetsky, March, I adore Pride and Prejudice, Brothers Cameron. I can't. Look, to say You have to favorite, take one book to a desert island, which would it be? But that's a different question because I, with a I, desert I, island, you're sitting there, well, what book can I read several times that'll last me the distance? Well, okay, let's Am ask Am I going to get plucked off by the uh, Pacific uh, Ocean yeah, or whatever well, it's called? Well, let's ask Pacific that question. Which... Brothers Karamazov, I think, could withstand reading over a couple of years. A few dozen times, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Pride and Prejudice, I just simply adore. Well, Every I think line listen, I love. I think listeners know my view of Pride and Prejudice. Well, let me just say, I'm going to narrow it to four. Am I Am I wimping it? Yes. The Leopard? Yeah, I am wimping it. Leopard, Radetzky, March, Brothers Karamazov, Pride and Prejudice, and Don Quixote. I said I'd limit it to four. I've given you five. Okay. Complete um, out six. All right. I wonder how long Dad's going to take with this next question, but uh, <laughs> we've discussed a lot of uh, great characters among these 10 books, a lot of really interesting types. And uh, I was going to say, which character did you find the most interesting? Maybe not favorite, but most uh, compelling, one you wanted to read about more and think about more? Andrew? This time I'll limit it to just two. One is Don Quixote, how a guy who is a fool in one sense. He thinks, he imagines himself as a, a, a knight brought, and it's going to recapture the era's chivalry and gets on his horse and with his trusty manservant and sees armies where there are only sheep and uh, you know giants where there's just a guy with a, a basin on his head and... Uh, how a guy can invest meaning in life, even through hallucination, and turned out to be more noble than the realists around him. I just, that is some character. But in terms of someone I'd like to meet and talk to, it was the prince in The Leopard, a guy that's struggling to uh, maintain a social order that, yes, privileged him, recognises that change is inevitable, uh, but the social, he's got to adapt to the change to make the social order um, last as long as can for him. Uh, there's a certain nobility in uh, in the prince in the leopard, and uh, I like that character. Now for me, it would be Ivan Karamazov, the, the tormented, struggling soul. But listening to Andrew, I was reflecting, and maybe it's at the nature of the books. I'm not sure in these ten books there's too many characters I'd want to have around for a dinner party, for a beer to to chat to, I think, and I was I've been thinking about this, which is Have around for that a chat. that maybe it is in the nature of these works that the the characters are exaggerated, uh, that we see the 
best and the worst, although usually we see the worst of these uh, characters. I, there's not too many um, uh, individuals and personalities that are warm and engaging. Uh, there's there's a couple of um, certainly interesting personalities, but I don't know out of these 10 works whether you'd actually come away with anyone wanting to be uh, your friend. Oh, well, in, I'll, I'll in, mention three then. Elizabeth Bennet and her dad. Oh, please, no. From Pride and Prejudice. Oh, no. Uh, I think you just have a hoot. You would laugh and laugh. I'd like those two. And I'd probably like Marlowe from Heart of Darkness. It's almost like Joseph Conrad himself, the narrator. He's seen so much, observed so much. Uh, I think he'd be an interesting chap to have Would around. he be your friend? I don't know that I know him enough to say that. Maybe you would. I don't know. I don't know. And I'd probably like the and prince said, too. And then, again, it, none of them um, engage you. I, I think... Uh, what we've seen is that, and it is it is a character of a great author that um, a, a personality in a book uh, can be used to convey a point or a theme or move the narrative on. Uh, but again, whether they actually uh, are humans of flesh and blood, I'm not sure. Probably well, Dickens. Probably Dickens. Dickens and no. Trollope come closer to that. But no, again, I would say in, Dickens, in either no, Trollope, yes, no, Dickens, no. But on, that doesn't in, make Dickens any worse a novelist. Uh, is Dickens, are you saying Dickens is flesh and blood or not flesh and blood? It's funny about Dickens. I always have this thing about Dickens. Like you, people say, oh, well, he just writes caricatures, mm. right? Um, exaggerated caricatures. And then yet when I go around in my life, I see people who li are living caricatures themselves that can be reduced to a couple of... You know, thumbnail sketches. And you, yeah, thumbnail sketches, and you see them in the life, in the flesh, as it were. I mean, you think of uh, the way Malcolm Turnbull's, you know, sort of revealed himself since he was sacked. I mean, that is one bitter. Ca that's straight out of a Dickens novel. We're talking four hundred years of English literature and of, of Western literature, and you brought in Malcolm Turnbull. I love it. Oh, thank you. Very <laughs> but, but, but that's the whole thing. You know, the what I, I'm looking through our list. You know, there's so many disparate ways of. Presenting characters and and you know, from caricatures to I mean, real I, I, people. I think to probably my favourite character uh, out of all of them is, is is Joe the Crossing Sweeper in in Bleak House. Uh, pathetic in the appropriate use of the term. Yeah, true, but he's symbolic, isn't he? But absolutely symbolic. But actually, and, just, and like the brother Scaramanzov characters are all basically all symbolic. I mean, but the I, real actually, just on, who are on, they? I'd say Elizabeth Bennet. Some of the characters in The Way We Live Now, Trollope, who always really observed people. I think Heart of Darkness and Conrad, some of the characters are very ordinary people in very extraordinary that, and, positions. And, and it, it strikes me, and maybe this is why I didn't connect to Pride and Prejudice compared to some of uh, the other, other works. Again, when people have asked me, John, as you've been doing this with Andrew and James, um, what are the similarities of... of the books and for me it's the big themes if i am engaged in characters i'll watch reality tv or i'll watch friday night lights or breaking bad or mad men um but for me if i'm going to engage in literature and fiction it has to tell me something about uh the world i live in and to get me thinking about the world in in a new way 
And for me, it, it's been remarkable that as, as I think of these 10 books, the personalities in them are subsumed in the big ideas, which is how we came to this, talking about the great books of Western civilization, talking about modernity, what is civilization, what is faith, what is duty, what is honor. It's those big themes and the characters are simply on the surf, uh, are vehicles for discussion of those big things. And for a book, to, and the point has been made many times, which is what, what gets a book to live beyond its initial generation? And one of the remarks has been that every generation can look back and see something different and see something new in it. So if you're looking at Heart of Darkness, you're looking at Civilization versus Barbarism, something torn out of the pages of today. If you're looking at the way we live now, uh, it's the intersection of politics and, and business. If you're looking uh, at Brother Karamazov, it's, well, do we have free will or are we simply a bunch of chemical processes? Um, these are the things that that speak to me and I think have uh, are consistent across all the books. Well, it's interesting you say that. I mean, what I, I, do would, you see I would actually say some of the characters... Uh, are living characters engaged not in great things, just in like Pride and Prejudice. Is just and the characters modern. more important than the themes? Pride and Prejudice, the character is king, I think. In other cases, I can it's watch TV for that. Ordinary people in ex, you know, under extraordinary pressures, um, Heart of Darkness, absolutely, for instance, uh, the Leopard to some extent. Others, their caricatures more, but nevertheless, no less vivid for, in fact, more vivid, Bleak House. In other cases, they are joke characters, stock characters, or, you know, obviously Don Quixote is is there. Does anything hold these ten books together? Well, it's interesting you say that because I think they do. And I don't know whether this is a reflection of our interest because we didn't come across ten books stacked up in a desert and say, yes, those are the ten, we chose these. So let's, you know... And there was a fair degree of overlap between you and me as to which correct. were the ones we wanted to talk That's about. That's correct. Well, yeah, but we're friends, so, you know, there's a commonality of of some sort of, you know, way of seeing the world that this but, isn't but, accidental. And, but again, while, while we have some similar interests, I haven't had many listeners say to me, oh, you've missed this one or you've missed this one. There might be one or two, uh, well, War and Peace is, of course, the classic maybe another Dickens, but I've had most people say to me, if you had to pick 10, this is the ballpark. I lobbied you on Moby Dick. I didn't get you over the line on Moby Dick. Well, maybe I should have gone. But, I, but I don't know whether we missed any obvious one. So while well, we there's a commonality gone, between you and me. We could have gone George Eliot. We could have. You know, Middle March or something like that. We could that. have. But, we, but there's only three or four ones that we, we missed. So there's well, got, to, I, I there's think, got to be some yeah. characteristic to a great book there. You know, Dante. We, we, yeah, but but I, I found that that was going to be really challenging when we're trying to read ten books and maintain So on that basis, there has to be some commonality across these Well, the books. commonality, I thought, was this. And I think, think it does reflect us as much as it does Western civilization, the preoccupations of Western literature, but not entirely. How to live. Yep. I think that is really it. How to live. Uh, how we engage with the world. The moral, th- um, our moral stand. Where we, how we find meaning in life. How we live without it just being 
one damn thing after another, you know, just meaningless. We live and then we die and then it's over. Uh, I think that is absolutely clear. Now We've been reflecting on the modern condition, haven't we? Well, not well, over 350 years or 400 but, 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 but years. But, 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 but if there'd been electricity in 1500, um, we would have been talking about something very different. We wouldn't have been talking about how to live. Well, the way we live well, would, have been, the... would have been pretty defined for us, our, our social ah, role. Yes. yes, I think that's right. I think it's interesting that our list starts sort of just after the Reformation has yes. done its work. Yep. And we're talking about, yep. hey, maybe you, you've got other choices other than simply listen to the priest and do exactly what he says. And this is the Western civilization question. Correct, yeah. correct. Uh, starting with Don Quixote, yeah. okay? Yes, yes. Um, who's trying to create meaning in his life. The guy goes out in his nag, is trying to create chivalry and meaning and honour and all, dignity. And, and then science and the Enlightenment hits the Reformation and then not only do we not have someone telling us how to live, we have fundamental questions as to what is life anyway. How do we see the world? And that's the, the beauty of Don Quixote. Do we see the world as a character or a subject or an object? Or do, the, as long as you see something, some meaning, even if you invent it, is it richer for it? And does it, do you... We, and that goes to really the Brothers Karamazov as well. You know, here, here's a book written when religion is under severe stress in Russia. And in fact, you know, the churches were going to have to go underground within about 40 years of this uh, being written. Um, is there, if, if there's no God, uh, is there any morality? Is that the question of Western civilization that we've been talking oh, about I think these so, weeks? Right. How, to, how to create some meaning in a life that's otherwise terrifyingly open to freedom. I mean, go through it. Bleak House isn't quite in that order, but it is about morality. It is about how we deal with each other. And Charles Dickens saying, listen, we've forgotten our duties to each other, where you can get that street sweeper called Joe. Now, who cares for him? You know, we've got to look after each other. And how? Do, and then um, the the politics of Bleak House and, of, and uh, the way we live now, how then do we organise ourselves... In this world, how do we organise our, our political selves, our legal selves? Um, th that sort of uh, Dickens and Trollope are the practical application of these questions. Except Ble uh, Dickens is always, I think, quicker to cry out, let's just be nicer. Here's the problem, and then let's be nicer. Trollope is more how the machinery of society It's more organic, is, yes. Yeah, well, yeah, he's more a describer of what happens. But, I mean, you have a look. You know, if you think Heart of Darkness, for instance, is about how are we dealing with these people over in the Congo and how, what is our duty to other human beings and uh, how, how quickly we fall into evil when we're part of this great machinery that we call colonialism and, or and whatever. And what is, is. Our, our culture and uh, that allows us to, to do this? And for me... Um, these books have worked at an individual level for um, us as people and then at a community and society level. There's always that dichotomy of yes. what it means to me, what it means to the world. Look, I me. think that's right. But these books, I think, vary in what stress, what focus they put in those things because they go from you know, the metaphysical to the purely manners, good manners. You know, if you think, right, that's a nice House is about morality. Yeah. The Leopard is about how we maintain a sort of social order. Um, Wuthering Heights is about the nature of love. 
really. And the, what's love? What's obsession? When you love someone so obsessively, are you loving yourself or them? And what are the consequences? And the consequences, exactly. Uh, Zorba the Greek is a, clearly about how to live. Uh, this is a, the author, you know, toyed with all sorts of, you know, communism and 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 Christianity and and then just look, just live, just do it, just, just do it, just do love, it. Love, you know, which is a bookmark, you know, sort of like one of the uh, bookends of Brothers Karamazov. Uh, Don Quixote: How do you invest meaning in life? Heart of Darkness. We've talked about the way we live now, the marriage business, the business of marriage and social contracts and politeness and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, the fa- and the facade that uh, we we put up, the facade of social status and and money. Yes. Um, and but that was tied into how women that's particularly, right. if you didn't get married and married well, that was that was the most important decision you could possibly make as a woman, and you got that bit wrong, your whole life would be fundamentally changed as a consequence. So if you were a woman and you weren't married by the time you were 30, it wasn't going to look very good for you after that. You know, you weren't going to have that career or something like that. Not back then. And and that go, you know, that, that comes to the fore there. Radetzky marches about, again, social order, the forces of history and how it twists... The, 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 who are you when empires crumble or change and how it twists people's own life choices and where they which, invest their loyalty which gets me which gets me thinking again and and a listener put this to me in an email which is uh, she said uh, John you and Andrew like talking about philosophy more than you like talking about the books and I said the, the books are- and, I, and I said but but the books to work are about philosophy, philosophy of history, philosophy of politics, philosophy of of, of well, being. I and, I, and, and for me, the six and a half books that are great are about the big questions, the three and a half that are interesting and nicely drawn with good characters are not in that character. Well, it's category. funny you say that. I wonder whether your writer got something. You are more interested that way and you're also... Christian and and that, so those things preoccupy you. I wonder whether that's why, in my opinion, you devalue Pride and Prejudice more than you should, because that that does not come to grips with the big pictures. That really is about how we deal with each. Who's naughty and who's nice? And we're talking about the Christmas spirit. Who's naughty and who's nice? And who's polite and who's not? And it's not about. I don't even think God really gets a mention. I mean, there's preachers in it, but there's very <laughs> yeah, little yeah, God. Yeah. I, I think you put your finger on why I've never connected to it. Because it is just about, and so much of life is that, really. I mean, if we deal with people today, when we walk out of the studio, we won't be talking to them about Christ or no Christ. I'm not Christian. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow <laughs> suffering? It's just, you know, was that person nice to me? Have I been nice to them? I mean, we're recording this just as I'm about to give presents to my staff uh, for, for Christmas, and I'm thinking about the fun of giving to them and how they'll respond and whether I've been nice enough in you know, thinking deeply enough about what they might like. It's just purely tiny little things like that, that web of interconnectedness. And I think that has a value too, John. It doesn't have to oh, be it, metaphysics. It, it, it does, but it's not up there with Dostoevsky. Well, that's true. And I'm, look, I know, I know I'm asking too much. 
No, well, maybe not, because then again, you know, Dostoevsky's theme was, you know, if you don't believe in God, you don't have the morality, and then anything's permitted. And if I didn't think someone was watching, whatever that someone is, capital S, someone, maybe I wouldn't give two stuffs, whether my staff liked it. Maybe I'd only give a gift in order for them to like me so that my life might be a bit easier. You would be then living only for the moment and you would only be giving them something for what you got out of it yourself there, yeah, immediately. There's, there's nothing good in what I'm giving. It's purely transactional. If I give them this gift, then uh, they'll just uh, make my life a bit nicer in the next year. That's, is that the Dostoevsky I mean, approach? And, and it's funny you should say there's nothing good in it. All these books have slightly different definitions of good. Well, so, some people do believe in an absolute... I think Dickens always believed in just be good, just, just be, be nice. Good. I think Dickens would see, well, he wrote the Christmas and Carol, uh, Christmas tale. So he would see you're being good, you're being nice, you're giving your heart, you're not making a bargain. And, and, and sort of all, all of the authors sort of take it for granted that you'll see goodness, you'll know goodness when you see it. Let me think, is that true? Let's have a look. Bleak House, I think that's probably true. The leopard, does goodness come into it? I'm not even sure the leopard, the goodness comes into no, it, really. Probably Comfort no. Comfort does. Comfort security does. No, maybe not. get maybe, away with maybe, a social contract, getting people just to do X. Maybe not good, which is, which is why the leopard is a little bit alienating, why, why the leopard seems a, a bit removed from experience. I mean, we're not Sicilian noble struggling with the end of, of uh, the world as we know it, but... It, 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 it seemed to be just a little disconnected. I think... Everything was acted. I think the leopard is interesting in that it says... I think... And, and this goes uh, to perhaps a little bit of Dostoevsky, Nietzsche, I don't know. But the leopard is saying, I think, there is no inherent good in one social order over another that the reformers will come, they'll change it, it'll be different, it'll suit different people better than what was, and it'll suit different people less than what was. It'll simply be different. Maybe it'll suit more people. Whether it's better than what was or not, that's a different question. That doesn't really come into it. And for the, the leopard, this minor aristocracy of... Um, the prince and uh, his beloved uh, Falconieri. It's more how we change the system so that we still come on top. So it still suits us. In the end, it doesn't quite. It all comes. Which makes it a book pieces. of philosophy. Yeah, but maybe then he's more realistic. It's things change. Everything changes. Um, Our humans today actually, I mean, they live longer. They don't have to work as hard. Uh, food is easy to get. And all these things are obviously good. Um, but how humans are constructed, are they actually happier now? If you divided your day into happy and unhappy, has that proportion actually well, changed of course, the argument over what be, it was? The argument will be that it does 200 years ago. But I'm gonna, I want to change it up from, from that and ask uh, you another question that was put to me because... One of the things that people have told me they liked about our discussion is not just the book, but the, the views on the author's lives. And That's there's, there's, there's one thing it? that I have thought about a lot, but I will let you go first. What, as we've talked about the authors and read about the authors, and this has been fun for me because I've had the opportunity to read some of the biographies, um, what strikes you about 
the authors? Do they have anything in common? Almost nothing. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to completely disagree with you. But well, you go first. I'll go through you, you, just the examples. No, but, but the author's life. Tell me about the author's lives. Vary from absolutely cloistered. I mean, obviously, yeah. Look, yeah, yeah. If, if we had to say yes, uh, most of them are noticing people. They are people good with words. I mean, the obvious there. If they weren't that, they'd be mechanics mm. or something. You know, or you know, if they didn't want to have facility with words. Why would they be writing books? They wouldn't be. So you've got to presume. But a few I, I, you see, I, so I'm, I'm going to come in and say, I think there is one thing that really struck me uh-huh. uh, reading about the lives of the authors. They read a lot and they wrote a lot, and we've touched on this in a couple of the episodes. This idea uh, that uh, you wait for inspiration before you paint oh. a picture or mm-hmm. you do a poem or you write a novel. Um, is not the lived experience of what it is to be an author. Many of them, and I think nearly without exception, started writing at a relatively young age and they wrote lots and lots and lots, whether it was um, Roth or Trollope or Dickens. Um, the more they wrote, the better they uh, look, I got. Think, yeah, but that almost like, you know, that, I mean, that's 10,000 hours yeah, sort and of that's the, uh, theory. The, the cry, and, uh, to write well, I mean, you and, have and, to write a and, lot. And these are very different. Well, you've just said that. Except, and you, and, and no, you've, except, you've, you've, you've said that dismissively, but none of my children uh, at school when they're told to write a short story or, you know, even worse, get on the internet and do some research, which just involves Googling five titles, not many people say that. Well, you know, do, there do, is do, one exception to, to your list. To all on, these journalists. One exception st- to your studying, theory on this list. Um, almost like two. Go on. Uh, the Leopard. No, he wrote De a lot. De No, this was his first novel. Your first novel, but remember... First he, novel at the but, age of 58. Yeah, but remember he'd written something like a two or 3,000 page history of English literature. Yeah, this is his first novel. No, but he'd done a lot of writing. He'd done no, no, a fair I, bit I'm of writing, right, but not yeah. much. It's his first novel. Oh, it was his first was 58, novel. 58, for heaven's but sake. But he'd done a lot of... He, he, he wrote thousands of words every day. He'd and done, then I'll go Wuthering Heights. Well, that was she, genius. Okay, she fluked it. She fluked she's genius. Well, first book, bang. Yeah, genius. Or not, was it fluked first it. book? Almost the first book. She, she didn't write many books and she didn't live long enough. But, one exception um, out of ten. Well, one and a half exceptions. Mm. But you're right. Look, if you're a writer, you've got to write uh, a lot, I think, to get good. I mean, it's like almost anything. It's like woodwork or whatever. Don't think you can just write it, bang. I've only written one book in my life. What a coincidence. It happens to be one of the greatest novels ever written. You know, who would have thought? But And they sort of get be- and better and better, unlike, I suppose, pop music and, and popular bands. Uh it's not your first album that is going to be the most successful. It'll be your last novel. That, that it's true. Brothers Karamazov every... was uh, Karamazov of Dostoevsky. That was his last novel and probably his greatest. That's true. Pride and Prejudice. Well, as someone who dies so young, um, I'm not sure that we can draw too much from that. But that was Bleak House was medium period. She actually started Pride and Prejudice. That was one of her first. Very young. Uh, her, the drafts mm. started. She started writing a draft of that very young. Radetzky March, Joseph Roth, but then he got drunk and poor and he started writing for money and the books went all over the shop. Some were great, some were clearly written, you know, in a dash trying to get some money from the publishers. The way we live now, well, Trollope was just <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Sit down, 
write a 2,000 words before I go off to work. I mean, every morning. 5.30 in the morning, let's start. Uh, that's just incredible. But did I, they get I, any better? I'm not sure they did. There's, they were always good. They were but always I, but of I, a certain standard. But I wanted to talk about the craft of writing. But you you, you started saying before I well, interrupted look, look, background. that, in fact, okay. there wasn't too much that... Put the craft together, to other one than, side. Other than the craft. Yeah, put the craft to one side. As in background, uh, that is fascinating. Well, Dickens... There's a, 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 a commonality between Dickens and Trollope, um, both disappointed young, disappointing their parents, feeling really socially insecure and writing and writing and writing to almost like assert themselves. This, isn't, this could be like political leaders. I would argue that you could make a case that nearly every single one of these writers had a chip on their shoulder. Let's think. De Lampedusa of the Leopard, I'm not 100% sure. I think he had a massive chip on his shoulder as, as his family was uh, collapsing around him, as his nephew had won that prize that encouraged him to write the book. Um, I think you I'm could... Sure ma- I'll, I'll, I'll go further. I reckon, you could, collapse, I reckon you could argue that nearly all of them thought they were a failure. Uh, let me think. I mean, they were certainly popular. They were certainly Sarkis, they were pop. They yeah, were popular. If I, can, if I can chime in, like he only wrote the leopard because someone he knew won a prize, and he was right. jealous. Like, he said, oh, I can I'm do not sure it. that was jealousy. I think that was more envy. like if even that idiot can do it. Yeah, that's envy. Maybe I can do but it. But isn't that a chip on the shoulder in itself? Just I like I so. need to be the best. Like no, no one else can be rewarded for anything. I need to win that. You might be correct. But without us actually knowing him, yeah. there's an alternative yeah. explanation, which simply, look, if even that idiot can do it, let me try. You know, And he'd already written uh, a sort of memoir that, uh, of his house, the Donna um, Fugata, uh, and he sort of retwisted it into doing the book. Um, chip on shoulder. Joseph Conrad? Yeah. You know, when you're in exile, I guess you've got... Something. He was unhappy. He, he in well, he had a Who's happy? fair. Yeah, well, are any of these authors happy? Joseph Roth probably not. I think probably, uh, <laughs> definitely. I think Jane Austen probably was relatively probably. happy, although she was unmarried. Well, do you think Is he that was his, happy? Was she happy being unmarried? I don't know. Um, Dostoevsky was just a strange right. dude. It's hard to Dick, tell. Dickens was, but you know well, what? Dick, I find? Dick, Dickens was was terribly unhappy. Oh, uh, without a doubt. Trollope may be, may be happy, but then was t- disappointed in his family. Yes. Uh, we we don't know enough family, about Cervantes, but Cervantes probably was unhappy too. Well, Cervantes you know? was desperate for money, and he no, he thought everyone was going above him when he was... All right, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start again. I've, no, been, I, 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 I've been asked this. I'm, I'm, pin, I'm pinning you down. Okay, so what, what makes a great novelist? You have to most likely have suffered in childhood. You need to have a chip on your shoulder. You need to write a lot. You need to be unhappy. Do you need, look? In the end, <laughs> I think people who do great things often tend to want to have a point to prove, or yep, in security, it. or they that's want it. to find security. That's it. Why else would you work? Why that else hard? would you do it? Why else would you work that hard? But who's that not true of? In some sense, really, you work hard. What's driving you? I work hard. I think I know what's driving me. But James, uh, unhappy? I don't know. Um, James, you're happy. Moderate. <laughs> I always say to James, he's too happy to be really, really successful. Um, Pride and Prejudice, I tell you what, um, Jane Austen grew up adored by her father. Mm. And I think that, sh- that comes through. Yes. And so I don't think that's correct. Um, and that's one out of ten. Oh, the Brontes. Uh, 
Bronte again okay, adored, two out of, adored. Two out of ten. Yeah, and with a very strong. You're more okay. Group then you're more likely children. to be able to write a great book if you, if on balance you've been unhappy and ignored by your parents. Uh, Joseph Conrad, well, his parents died young. Um, well, look, there's something there, uh, but also think it's interesting. One of the most remarkable differences is so you've got you range from here's Emily Bronte. Uh, so, well, Emily Bronte sitting on, in a in a manse in the middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere in Yorkshire, <laughs> right? Going almost nowhere, you know, briefly to a boarding house or whatever. And then you've got Jane Austen, sort of the maiden aunt at the end of her life, and really basically going nowhere either. So that's their lives, extremely constrained. They're not going out in society or anything. They're drawing like a man and woman, a male-female distinction too. Well, possibly, possibly, because the options for women... Although there were other women that, you know... That were in society. What, yes. what was the name of that uh, Lady Mary Montague mm. that, you know, was the wife of the British ambassador in Constantinople and wrote some marvellous things and saw a hell of a lot of the world. And some of the French uh, uh, writers, women, at the time of Napoleon, uh, just brilliant, you know. So there were options, but you, you're quite correct. As opposed to... Oh, uh, uh, People, uh, well, let's have a look at Cervantes of Don Quixote. I mean, this is a guy who was a soldier, badly wounded in the heroic, one of the great heroic battles against the Turks, uh, imprisoned, um, turns out to be a writer. I mean, this is a man of action. Actually, we could go through how many of these writers have been imprisoned. Uh, well, Dickens, Dickens, <laughs> Dickens was practically, marked, practically. His life was turned by imprisonment, but that of his father. Not by his father. Uh, the Leopard, no. Weathering Hutch, no, no. Zorba the Greek, well, Cousin Sarkis probably flirted with being imprisoned yes, with the life he led. Don Quixote, yes. Uh, Joseph Conrad, no, 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 no. Joseph Roth had to flee uh, Germany as a Jew uh, when Hitler uh, yes, uh, yes. came to power. Uh, and Dostoevsky was imprisoned. He was imprisoned for four years in chains all that time. And... Uh, and for six years was banished. And I think to the end of his life, police watched him as well. As a I'm going to add then, well, as we're talking about who's been in jail, another thing that um, I've thought about, and again has been raised with me, writing for money doesn't mean you're going to write any less good. Sometimes Joseph Conrad, uh, Joseph Conrad, uh, Joseph Roth might be an example of and the And might opposite. have written too much. But, Basically, but, yes. But the idea that many of these writers were in debt had to write for money, yes. had to write to, to live um, and, and produced greater. You are so correct. The modern idea yep. that, please help me, I need a grant, otherwise I just can't clear my mind. Yep. Send me to that Australian writer studio in Paris, yeah, otherwise I, need, I can't possibly write I need write to live literature. in that loft and get yes. my baguette and my latte. I can't write a book between now and the end of the year. I'd... I've got the washing to do. Please give me a grant so I can hire a cleaner. I, I, I can clear my head. I, I, I can't deal with the pressure well, here, of, 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 of a commercial success or failure. Absolutely correct. Here, the list of our authors is extraordinary in that sense. You've got Charles Dickens, who was a very busy editor uh, of magazines and all that, and journalists uh, initially, just writing and writing 
and write. He had to. And yes, two deadline quite often because he wrote for period. You know, the books are initially published in periodicals. So by the end of May, we need two more chapters, Mr. Dickens. No inspiration hasn't. Dostoevsky was writing two books at the same time, and both of them great. Again, for publication period. For money. And one, he had a one-month contract. You produce the book, pay you or nothing. If it's not there in a month, bang, a book in a month. And no worse for it. So I'm, I'm, I'm Joseph going... Roth was a guy who wrote for money and quickly. Joseph Conrad's a little different. Trollope wrote for money. Well, Cervantes clearly wrote and for Cervantes money. And Cervantes wrote for money. Um, uh, oh, Cervantes, we forgot. He's a guy that spent a lot of time in jail. And which draws a bigger question, which is, is this one of the problems of, of state-subsidised art and literature? It might be, I think. I, I don't know. Look, there's people. I look at some people who've had grant after grant after grant <laughs> since the time I first knew them. Alison Crogan used to be a journalist at the Herald when I was there. A nice person. But since then, she's had so many grants. I think one of her children now gets a literary grant. I think her husband uh, got literary grants. And I've, I think I'm yet to meet anyone that's read any of Alison Crogan's books. Uh, I mean, for heaven's sake, what, what's the return on that investment? But... Um, Looking at this, I think mentioning prison, right? Like several of these authors have been in prison or their fathers were, and that marked them. Obviously, uh, Dostoevsky, uh, Cervantes, um, people like that. What I find interesting is that if I look through quickly through the list... So Conrad's father was in jail. Have we mentioned that? He was, that's correct. He was imprisoned. Correct. Yeah. And, you, and, Russians, he, and uh, he would go yeah. and visit his father in jail. So if I'm looking through the list, I think it's, we could say that almost every single one of those writers is in some way an outsider. I think that's really important, standing outside and writing with either nothing to lose or a clear vision or you're not beholden or you can see more clearly or maybe see more resentfully. Jane Austen was an outsider. She saw the world around her. She saw the family. She was very conscious of her position outside of, of society. And well, yes. unmarried. Um, left on the shelf in one way. Well, you go through it. Uh, Charles Dickens had felt, well, he's a journalist, and, uh, you know, you felt a bit chip on the shoulder and, and also... Uh, Trollope. Trollope had a chip on his shoulder uh, since very being much. Uh, bullied as a, as a young boy at school and, and all through his life suffered from that. Uh, I think that's, that's absolutely correct. Um, Roth was Jewish. Roth was Jewish. I mean, the, Not the, only Jewish, the, he came from one of the poorest right. parts, the border right. parts of the Austrian Empire. And when he made his name as a journalist, it wasn't even in Austria, it was in Berlin. And so he's looking at it as an outsider. He and his greatest essay, it, didn't he? Yes. And his greatest essay, The Auto de Fe of the Mind, uh, was, was written in Paris. So he's in exile, from exile, as it were, as a Jew looking at Germany. Um, and I exactly very. Cervantes was an outsider. He was he, he was he was begging the crown for for a pension. He he felt that he'd never got uh, his due as a war hero. Correct. Um, uh, absolutely. Um, and Dostoevsky had been in exile, uh, imprisonment, or exile for ten years. Uh, and even he though was, he was lionised towards the end of his life, he always felt that out, never counts. It I never think, counts. That's right. Uh, 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 it counts to some extent, but it never makes up. Let me put it. It never that makes way. up for it. Yeah, it never makes up. You never get enough of that. It's how how you were bent at the start. So this is a guy. I don't think he got on that well with his father, 
who died when he was... Mother died mother died. When he was young. Yes, sent away, I think, at the age of 12 or something. But also at the end of his life, don't forget, you've got the intelligentsia basically going one way and Dostoevsky going the other. You know, you've had the great westernising influence coming into Russia, people turn into socialism and things like that, anarchism some, and here he is going the other way, back to Russian Orthodox Church. I think that's fascinating. There wouldn't have been many writers that the Tsar would have invited to come and talk to his kids. And, and Lampedusa was doing the same thing. He was standing thwart of history and saying, stop. He was seeing the world changing around him and saying, well, why is this happening? I mean, well, so, ma so many of these had... authors, you know, so many of these authors stood against the tide of, of history. John, just and a culture. little secret between you and me, that's that reflects you and me. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly yeah, our but, shtick. But, but otherwise, you would be simply reading books that reflect the newspapers of the day and the culture and the opinions of the day, but which don't live because they don't say something eternal. Well, eternal. Yeah, but here again, I think, let's go through the list. There's sort of mixed things here. People on the left often claim Dickens as one of them. And Dickens was for reform, he you was, know, yes, a, yes. A, a hard times. You know, reform and sanitation and the poor laws and education. All that kind of stuff. But I think Dickens was in some sense a conservative in the de Lampedusa kind, which is for things to stay the same, everything must change, which is a famous line from um, the Radetzky, uh, sorry, uh, the Leopard. For things to stay the same, as the same, everything must change. He said, for heaven's sake, let's just be nicer. He didn't want to overturn the social order. He had a horror of revolution, as you see in A Tale of Two Cities and, and Barnaby Rudge. He hated the mob. He wanted he just the aristocracy the to care more about people like Joe. Correct. Absolutely correct. He wanted people just to do the right thing. And Trollope, in many ways, is the same. They're not revolutions. Trollope is more conservative. Or he hated, Conservative now is a different meaning to then. He wouldn't have called himself a, a Tory then. He was more a Whig. But still, he liked the nobility... He liked the minor aristocracy. I don't think he wanted to give up his fox no, hunting yeah. or anything like that. Uh, Don Quixote, I think, uh, well, you can only go so far in being a revolution in that time without losing your head. He needed patronage, and he got noble patronage near the end. Joseph Conrad, I think, was a conservative too. And? In fact, you have a look at The Secret Agent, which is a horror of the... And under Western eyes, he hated the revolutionaries. And... Some of the, and, and the power of many of these authors is in the same way as many of the authors were at the margins of society or accepted behaviour or accepted politics, their characters were at the margins too. Let me think. Well, the prince Pro in The Leopard is not exactly in the margins, not, not in but, the he, but, but it's but, going to be marginalised. He's going to be marginalised. Mm-hmm. Uh, Redetsky March. Well, the characters are on the margins yeah, of the army. But history is going to smash them. History is mm -hmm. going to smash them. Heart of darkness. History is going to not smash you, but demonstrate your evil. Yeah, well, um, yeah, but the Weathering Heights friends, is, out, is outside of that. The five yes. friends on the boat that hear the story of the heart of darkness, one of them Marlowe's saying about what he saw when he went to the Congo, Oh, well, sorry, he tells the tale that he's been told about the Congo. Um, the five friends include a banker. They're all sitting in a yacht in the Thames. They're of the prosperous middle, upper middle class. But what and they a lot of this is told for that kind of audience. You know, Pride and Prejudice is 
told to that kind of audience. The, the upper middle class and the minor aristocracy. And their readership includes those people. Uh, Trollope was picked up by the aristocracy as one of their favourite writers. So, uh, but never quite accepted. Let me just see. Conservatives. I just go through a checklist. You tell me. Dickens. Yes. Conservative? Conservative. Uh, De Lampedusa, the leopard? Cons- very conservative. Ultra-conservative. Uh, Bronte, Wuthering Heights? Emily Bronte? Unclear. I think that's right, unclear. Uh, Cousin Sarkis, Sorber the Greek? Conservative in his idiosyncrasy. Yeah, insofar as you can say a communist. Well, he's a communist, but... But I think he was enthusiast and then he became one of the church and... That's that's mixed. Let's say he was just typical sort of Greek socialist, uh, you know, the slightest excuse, the communist garb comes off and they've suddenly got the, the brown uniforms of the colonels. Um, Cervantes and Don Quixote? Definitely. Conservative? Definitely. Uh, Heart of Darkness, Joseph Conrad? No, angry, angry. Basically, they're conservative. I mean, the other books of his... Attack the anarchists, they attack the communists. Yeah, he's conservative he's in as much as he doesn't want to overturn skeptical. the social order. Social order. Social I think that's, order. That's they, he doesn't mind social order. But, like, you know, we've got to make a distinction between conservative and reactionary because conservatives, again, to quote the I leopard, th- for things to stay as they are, everything must change. Only, conservatives should not be that, against change. No, you only make a good point. Only I think Lampedusa is the only reactionary. I, I, I think all of. In as much as there's consistent themes across the majority of them, they're willing, they they understand change and need to adapt change without throwing over everything. Dostoevsky, I would say, is a reactionary too. Or yeah, almost reactionary, certain. almost reactionary. Although these terms suddenly, you know, they're so blunt. But, but and they so, uh, again, they, when you look at the novels we've chosen, how many? One, two, three, four, five... Six of, six of the ten are of the of the twentieth or nineteenth century, a period of tumult, a period of change. Uh, you'll also be perhaps more inclined to be a great author if you are um, writing at a period of the clash of modernity and something else. But then that is the story of human history. On Western civilization, because it, things are changing. That's one of the glories of Western civilization. That it is a discussion about change, the good of change and the bad of change, and what you can expect from change. And, and in the periods of stability, you might not uh, get that creativity. You might not get that frenzy. So I'm, so I'm trying to think how many books, great works of literature, are going to come out of the 1950s and 60s that will be read in a hundred years' time. There might be some. Oh, you're testing me here. No, but I, I'm, I'm, what, what I find interesting here, now that you mention all that, is how many of these books note change and acknowledge the reason for change or the force of change, but warn that while there will be change, it may not necessarily be good change. You can't that's expect the sum of human... isn't it? And again, maybe that reflects your and my interests, but that's a big theme, isn't it? The leopard it? certainly fits in that. Things will change, but don't expect, you know, the, a glorious well, I, sunshine. And I think the way we live now is all about that. It is all about 
the love of money, and 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 I will defend uh, the free market every day of the week. But uh, Trollope is talking about the love of money, uh, the idea that we are going to abandon uh, contracts to uh, beat someone in a commercial deal. Um, Trollope, the rise of Melmot. There, the, the rise of Melmot. Uh, mm. It is all about. Be careful what Robber you wish Barons for. are Robber coming. Robber Barons, that's, that's exactly right. Robber Barons are coming, uh, Trollope warns. Yeah, but I think what they're all saying is it's an uh, uh, absolute truth of human development that things change and a lot of things will change for the better. And that's what's driving this. But other things will change, not for the better. There's always a cost. Nothing is perfect. And I think a lot of these books attack the idea that there's going to be perfection in change. There never is. That is a fraud. And uh, people stop, got to stop being so they, tired I mean, about it. And, and, Bredetsky and, March is another one of and, those. And, so when I, and, and, and again, uh, all, so many of these authors, as they're keen observers, have a fine eye for hypocrisy, don't they? They have a, yeah. a, a fine eye for, for, for Kant and, and Dickens and Trollope and, and Conrad. See through it in a second. Oh, so... And, I'm and, reluctant and, and to mention her or the thank no, no, you, Jane and, Austen. And yes. Austen is a is a keen observer of the oh, facade wicked. that we go through. Wicked. I, I look. I think this all these are just such great books. And while I say, you know, obviously we chose them because we wanted to read them. We didn't choose books that we we thought we'd hate, and therefore they reflect more our taste than the drift necessarily of of Western literature. I have to say, as, as you pointed out earlier, these are nevertheless emblematic books. It's, it's not clearly you know, cherry-picked. And I think we, we do see in the finest writers this idea, this scepticism about all things human, everything, you know, almost like paternalistic or maternalistic, and a scepticism about about the idea that we're all on the march to perfection. And perfection will never come. And perfection... And endless for happiness. Us, and, and perfection for us as individuals and perfections for us as societies and, and communities. And reflecting on how this connects to Western civilization. And when you talk Western civilization to people, they'll say, oh, a, a Beethoven symphony or a Gothic cathedral or something like that. Well, Well, yes and no. Yes and no. It's... Western civilization comes back to exactly what we've been talking about, which is how do I live? Yes. How do I deal with change? How do I deal with the people around me? And some people will be good and some people will be bad and my relationships will be up and they will be down. That's what Western civilization is about at its core. I don't want to sound like Monty Python, but it's the meaning of life. Uh, that's what the whole argument really is about, how best to live. And, and Western civilization is that ongoing Discussion. Have you noticed here that, um, it, it, like, like Karl Popper wrote, uh, um, Civilization, what's it now? Enem oh, I've forgotten his name. Oh, the um, Open Society. The Open Society and its Enemies. So he's posited history ever since Plato as being a, a battle. Yes, yes. Between those that want freedom and then those that. The enemies of that who want order. And security. Freedom and security, versus security. Which is Dostoevsky, basically. Uh, he's saying, you know, in Brothers Karamazov, that's exactly the sort of thing. You know, can humans actually deal with freedom or do they scurry off again? Do into, we want freedom? You know, please chain me again. I can't stand this. Um, but that battle, in that battle, I think it's really noticeable that none of the authors that we've chosen with the question mark over Kazantzakis 
were cheering for the chains. They're cheering, and not necessarily for absolute freedom. Dostoevsky is very sceptical about that. But what they all have an eye for is the individual. They're, they're centred on people. Whereas ideologues, and the people demanding revolution in the name of the people or the fatherland or the planet or Gaia or whatever, or Christ or Muhammad, you know. Humanity as a mass, not humanity as correct, people. Correct. And when you have that mentality, it's like, you know, Lenin says, you know, you can't have a revolution without breaking eggs, as in you can't improve society without killing the people in it. Um, they actually always look at the human. I'm, I'm trying to think. I think in every one of these cases, every one of these books we've looked at, that is absolutely true. Yep, I've just double-checked. In every one of these books, that is absolutely correct. Writers like that, I think, cannot cheer on tyranny because they're looking at the individual. And in the end, you might in a moment of enthusiasm, like Kanzaka, say, look, I'm going to Stalin's Russia. Oh, this is a beautiful place. This is the future of humanity. But in the end, when you write the novel, you can't do that. You're looking at people. Because if you don't do that, your book is absolutely rubbish. It's garbage. It's, it's suddenly the whole fraud becomes so obvious. You've got no, you know, your, 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 your characters become caricatures. They're just cardboard. They don't speak or live like real people. They're boring and they don't figure in a 10 top books of literature uh, series of podcasts like ours. Okay, so uh, that is it for this special bonus episode of the Great Books of Literature podcast. So I'm just going to echo what I said at the end of The Brothers Karamazov. Thank you guys so much for listening and subscribing. And uh, so make sure you're telling your friends and family about the show and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you enjoy the show. We're available on any podcast app that people choose to listen to. And uh, if you do want to see one of your favorite books in a second season, make sure you email me the title at jbolt at ipa.org.au. So thanks again to John and Andrew, and thank you for listening.